0: The Christian life, uh, as I've told you uh, many times as we read in scripture, is a life of prayer. And prayer is at its most uh, basic level, the lifting up of one's heart to God, of communion with him. As we'll see, asking God for things, petition, making, request is part of prayer. But it's not the whole of prayer. God is not, uh, as I've quipped many times, a sort of genie. We're not in Aladdin. He's not a sort of cosmic vending machine that we put in prayers and then we get out of God the things that we really, really want. So this morning what I want to do, drawing mainly on uh, Genesis 18, our Old Testament lesson, and Luke 11, Our gospel is to give you some principles for prayer. In both those texts, we see prayer happening. Abraham is speaking with God. He's petitioning God. He's he's interceding for the righteous. And in Luke 11, Jesus is explicitly teaching his disciples, and by extension, all of us, what prayer is and how to pray. So I want to give you this morning briefly seven principles for prayer, seven principles for prayer. The first is number one, pray in humility. Pray in humility. Never forget when you are praying, when we are praying together, who it is that you're praying to. You're praying to almighty God, our father who is where? In heaven. Note the deference with which Abraham petitions Almighty God. There's no fist bumping. There's no sense of entitlement. With fear and trepidation, holy fear and trepidation, he approaches the Lord. With that, number two, at the same time, we pray in humility, but we also pray in boldness. So never forget who you're praying to. It's our Father who is in heaven by grace. And this is what we read of in part in our epistle today in Colossians. We've been incorporated into Christ through baptism. So Jesus' Father, because we're in Christ, Jesus' Father is our Father. By virtue of being in Christ... God is our Father. Thus we approach Almighty God. Not as slaves, not as servants, but as sons and daughters in his royal court. As the writer of Hebrews says, on account of the work of Christ, we as Christians are supposed to what? Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Confidence. Abraham's prayer is humble, but it's also bold because he's rooting his petition in the God whom he knows. He knows that God is just. He knows that God, by nature, only does that which is right. And so he can boldly say he can, uh, not that God forgot, present in prayer God's own character before him. Will not the Lord of the earth do right? Do what is just? So We pray in humility, but we also pray in boldness, rooting our prayer in who God is, who he has revealed himself to be, and the relationship that we have with the Father in and through Jesus Christ saint cyril of alexandria writes this a little bit of a lengthy quote but wonderful on our sonship that we have in christ he writes this he speaking of the son rescues us from the measure of slavery giving us by his grace what we did not possess by nature and permits us to call god father as being admitted to the rank of sons we receive this together with all our other privileges from him one of these privileges is the dignity of freedom a gift peculiarly befitting those who have been called to be sons he commands us therefore to take boldness and say in our prayers our father we who are children of earth And slaves and subject by the law of nature to him who created us, call him who is in heaven, Father. Most fittingly, he enables those who pray to understand this also. Since we call God Father and have been counted worthy of such a distinguished honor, we must lead holy and thoroughly blameless lives. We must behave as is pleasing to our Father and not think or say anything unworthy or unfit for the freedom that has been bestowed on us. Pray in humility, pray in boldness. Number three, pray for what you want. Pray for what you want that needs some ex- explanation. I wasn't willing to break up the alliteration on the set. Uh, all of my seven points had to start with the P. Said a different way, if you're going to ask God for something, ask Him. If you're going to ask God, if you're going to make a petition, make a request. Make that request. Now that doesn't mean that we don't take thought of our prayers. That doesn't mean that we ask God for things that are clearly. Contrary to his will. But rather in surrender to God's will. We make our request known. The Bible says make your request known unto God. So Abraham doesn't pray. Oh Lord. Whatever you want to do with the righteous that are in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's fine with me. We'll know you do the right thing. No he specifically asks. God to spare this wicked city on account of the righteous. Jesus, in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done, but yours. If you're going to ask God for something, ask him. God is big enough to say no to your request. I think about this in the life of our church. I don't pray, God, you know, whatever you want to do, wherever you want us to be, we're fine with it, and whatever your will is, we'll... No, I say, God, give us a piece of land to set apart for your worship. 20, that's, that is yours. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So that we can be the church that you've called us to be. To say, God, in, in Acts 2, the early church, what does it say? That they were worshiping once a week on Sunday? No, day by day. They were gathering at the temple and they were meeting in house. Of course, that's surrendered to God's will. But asking God... If you're going to make a request, make it. And then asking prayers, praying prayers big enough that are worthy of God's majesty. Don't ask God to do things that would probably just work out as a matter of course. Make a request of God. God's all powerful. So pray prayers, pray big prayers to a big God. And again, God's big enough to say no. And the thing that happens is as you pray, as you grow in communion with God, which is what prayer is about, your desires and your petitions will become aligned with His. You'll learn how to ask for things in accordance with the name of Jesus so that your requests will be granted. God will change your desires. So you might start out maybe, okay, don't pray this. God, help me to win the Powerball. Help me to get a better paying job. You kind of start out with those things. And as we grow, our desire becomes less for the good things that God can give us and more for the good thing, which is God himself, which is right here in our gospel. We'll get to that. Number four, pray the scriptures. I mean, that's what we're doing together during the Holy Eucharist. Almost everything, I mean, everything we pray in the service is rooted in Holy Scripture. Most of it is explicitly so. The best prayers that we can pray, instead of, you know, I, I grew up in, um, in the Baptist church, and I remember like the youth group days and the prayer circles. And most of the time in group prayer, I wasn't really praying, and I suspect uh, most people weren't either. I'm thinking of, okay, it's about to get to me. What's something really holy and creative? Because the last seven people have said this. And I don't want to say the same thing they said again. and having to you know come up with new material it's like you know what the Jesus says when you pray say this he's giving us the script if you will so that we can make the prayer of the heart I'm not saying you can't make extemporaneous prayer that's not what I'm saying the heart of our prayer should be praying scripture the Psalter Do you know what the Psalter is The Psalter is the original book of common prayer. I'm not kidding. It was meant to be prayed in that way. And as the thing that's uh, interesting too is as we are saturated with Holy Scripture and we grow in our knowledge and our understanding of Holy Scripture and praying um, Scripture explicitly, praying the Psalms, for example, praying the Lord's Prayer, We'll find that our conversation and our extemporaneous prayer will use scriptural themes and languages and words and phrases. Number five, and this is related to the former, pray in and with Christ. Pray in and with Christ. As we are praying the Psalter, for example, that's what we're doing. We're praying in and with Christ and many times in the person of Christ that these are the prayers of Jesus to the Father. Um, We had a little bit of this in our our psalm today. In Psalm uh, 138 is praying against our enemies. Well, how do we understand that today? Maybe you feel weird about that. You know, if you're praying through a psalm, hopefully you're not thinking of like the person at work that is just terrible and you don't like uh, he or she at all and you want God to smite them. No, it's the spiritual struggle that we're engaged in. That our enemies are the world, the flesh, our, our own propensity to do that which is not right. And Satan and his minions. Those are the enemies. And so praying in and with Christ, remember Lent, what's Lent, is going into the wilderness with Christ to do battle with and share in his victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because we, can't, we cannot even pray to the Father without Jesus. Whenever we're praying, it's, whether it's explicit or not, we can, we can only approach the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. Praying in and with Christ is the only way we can pray. That is to the Father through the Son. And again, it's our Father. Christ's Father is our Father. John 20, John chapter 20, verse 17. What does our Lord say? This is after the resurrection. He says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Number six, pray with persistence. Pray with persistence. Note Abraham's persistence in Genesis 18 and the persistence with which we are told to pray in today's gospel by our Lord. Jesus tells the parable of the reluctant friend. And I I think with with DoorDash and Uber Eats and all those sorts of things, we would never have to inconvenience one another in that way. You know, we're not going to knock on each other's door at midnight and say, hey, do you, do you got any food I can get? We just, you know, my cousin showed up and we've got we've to feed him. And 7-Eleven's always your friend too. The point of this short parable in Jesus' teaching is not that God is like the reluctant friend. That God doesn't really want to help you out, but if you bug him enough, he will. If that's how you're reading it, you've missed the point. This is what's called an argument from lesser to greater. His point is is that if if a flawed human being will grant your request... By virtue of your persistence alone, you know, Jesus says, not because he's your friend, just because you won't stop knocking on his door and waking up his kids and asking for, you know, the leftover loaves of bread from Panera. The argument is, if this is true with human beings, how much more, argument from less to great, how much more your Father in heaven, who is eager to give you good gifts, to give you the good gift which is himself. Saint Augustine said this, he said, if a man awakened from sleep is forced to give unwillingly an answer to a request, God who does not know sleep and who wakens us from sleep that we may ask gives much more graciously. God desires to give to his children. He wants us to keep. We have to cooperate with grace. We're not pagans. We're Christians. We're not, we don't become Christians and then God zapped us and we're, we're light. We're just like Jesus the very next day. It's a relationship with Almighty God that we grow in. That we grow in. It's a continual relationship of prayer, of not just asking for stuff, but of being with God. Again, prayer is the lifting up of one's heart to God. If you are going throughout your day, even if you're doing, you're calling people at work, you're doing projects, you're putting out fires, you're doing an Excel spreadsheet, if you do that with an awareness of God and His presence, that's prayer. Prayer again is more than petition. All of us perhaps have a friend or a family member that you only hear from them when they need something. Do we do that with God? When we really need something, you know, we're dialing them up. But the rest of the time, eh. Not our genie, he's our father. Jesus says, ask you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. That's coming off his mini parable talking about persistence. And even the language, the Greek grammar, eyes glaze over, it's hot, not the day to talk about Greek grammar in here, but it's in the imperfect tense which emphasizes an ongoing process. So the language is, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, And just like you know how to give your children good gifts, if you then being evil, and it's not that Jesus is just slamming us real quick, you just, we're flawed human beings. We're finite. Our justice and our love is not perfect like God's is. But if you know how to give your kids good gifts, how much more your Father in heaven? And the gift we see in Luke is God himself. He says if I'm going to give it to you in the King Jimmy. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? In Matthew it says good things. In Luke it says the Holy Spirit. It's ultimately the gift is Grace. It's the life of God himself that that he's with us and he's changing us and he's transforming us. Finally, and we'll close with this, number seven. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer encompasses all of the above. So the Lord's Prayer is a model for prayer. So it it covers beginning with adoration and thanksgiving, the forgiveness of sins, petition after we've done adoration. It begins and ends with worship. But it's not just a model for prayer, it's the model prayer. Jesus does not say pray using this outline. He says, when you pray, say this. (laughs) Therefore, the Lord's Prayer has been at the heart of Christian life and worship since the very beginning. We learn from the Didache, which means the teaching, the teaching of the Twelve Apostles for short, which goes all the way back to the 30s, not like the 1930s, like the first 30s. The decade in which Jesus was crucified and resurrected and it's the first church manual I've told you about it before it's the original rubrics for Christian worship and the early Christians prayed the Lord's Prayer thrice daily three times a day so think about your regular prayer rule or habit maybe you're a Benedictine monk, and you have seven times of prayer a day plus vigils, so eight. Maybe you're praying the daily office or attempting to pray the daily office. Just start with the, a great place to start, and don't feel guilty if you're not praying the office. is hard. It is. As a priest, I'm supposed to pray a morning, evening prayer every day. I don't always do that. Don't tell the bishop. I strive to do that. Times where I don't. My point is, start with the Lord's Prayer. You want to grow in prayer? That's a great way to start. Just the first thing you do when you get out of bed, make the sign of the cross and say the Lord's Prayer. End your day the same way. Just start there. And you'll never move past that. You never move. There's not, never going to be a week you're going to come in and after the fraction in the Eucharist, be like, ah, we're going to do a different prayer today. We're always going to pray in the words that our Savior Christ taught us. And it's so rich. It's rich for praying and of course it's rich for reflection. So brothers and sisters, let us pray in humility. Let us pray in boldness. Boldness. Let us ask God for what we want. In surrender to what he wants. Let us pray the scriptures. Let us pray in and with Christ. Let us pray with persistence. And let us pray ever and always the Our Father, through the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, whom with the Father and the Holy Spirit be all honor, glory, and praise. Amen.